Welcome to the Mission Matters podcast, celebrating the people and initiatives that embody the Jesuit tradition of St. Louis University, celebrating what matters in the 200-year-old-plus mission that is St. Louis U, brought to you from the Office of Mission and Identity. Welcome back. This is Virginia Herbers in the Office of Mission and Identity, and I am thrilled to have as a guest today, Kendra Johnston, who is the director for our Center for Accessibility and Disability Resources, affectionately referred to as CADR, C-A-D-R. So Kendra, thank you for being with us. It's, it's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So we'll start like we start every episode. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, about your journey at SLU, and then eventually we'll get into the center. Okay, sounds good. I have been at SLU for about seven and a half years, and I initially started off as a coordinator in this same department, only at that time it was called Disability Services. And I became director of this department in, I think it was about 2020, so very interesting year. So I have been working in this role for a bit, and I think that it's been really rewarding getting to know a lot of the students and being able to connect with them and build a rapport and just kind of being able to meet the needs of students in a very unique way within my role. So before coming to SLU, my background was actually in therapy. So I had never had a higher ed position prior to SLU. So formerly I worked with individuals with substance abuse, mental health diagnoses. I also worked with students in K through 12 who had behavioral diagnoses, mental health diagnoses. So I wanted to do something that was sort of still incorporated a lot of those mental health pieces, but that wasn't so intensive. And so that's why I ultimately decided to apply for this job. So it's been great. And I, I really hope to do it for, for much longer. That's fantastic. Wow. So your level of experience starts with five and six-year-olds. Yeah. I mean, there were some teenagers thrown in there as well, but yeah, the collegiate population was uh, very new to me. And so it's, it's been very interesting seeing kind of the other side of that coin. You know, I I was seeing students who were approaching that, but this was very new to me. Right. Bringing that to this role here. So as an educator myself, right, I have taught every level from kindergarten through college. And Mm -hmm. now at a university, having had the experience of littler people, it brings a lot more to bear on what you're doing now, I imagine. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you, I see in this role, you know, students coming in and, and you really can see a, a lot of the ways in which their K through 12 experience has informed who they are and how they approach, in my case, working with students with accommodations and how they approach that, it provides a little bit of a unique perspective when you've had that background and and now you're doing this. So, okay. So let's pivot and talk about the work of the center. So what we do is we provide academic and housing accommodations to students with a diagnosed disability. Now, some students say, well, I don't follow under that category of having a disability. So I generally provide a little bit of an overview of the diagnoses that we, we, we tend to work with, what that looks like. So we work with students with mental health diagnoses, physical disabilities, medical diagnoses, 
neurodevelopmental diagnoses, which happens to be a larger portion of our population. We even work with students who have temporary diagnoses. So that's something that's a little unknown about CATER. So students who have concussions, broken bones, if students are going to be undergoing surgery and perhaps they're going to have a recovery period that might result in absences or, or something like that. So we work with students to provide some assistance so that they're not being penalized in the classroom for maybe missing class or perhaps if it's testing related. So the way that we do that is we have a registration process. Students have to complete an application, which is available on our website. They have to also submit documentation. And generally, if students have had accommodations in the past, so in that K through 12 time period, They'll often have an IEP or 504 plan, so we'll take a copy of that. We'll also accept evaluations or letters from providers. And then finally, they will need to meet with us. Now, we have appointments via EAB Navigate, and in those appointments, we generally talk through, you know, how are you impacted by your diagnosis? What does that look like in the classroom? Or for a housing accommodation, what does that look like in your daily living? And that sort of helps us with all of those inf all of those pieces of information, we're able to decide what are the most appropriate accommodations for this individual. So that's what we do on the most basic level. Just kind of some other things that we do. We provide a testing environment for students with testing accommodations. So we have one on North Campus and one on South Campus. We have a sensory room that we opened up in 2021, and that was grant funded. So that was super exciting. Wow. And yeah, it's super exciting. So we got the money for that from JASPA and it's it's a great space. It's actually for all SLU students, so they don't have to be registered with us. They have an option to meet with the occupational therapist beforehand if they'd like. And really what the space is, is it provides an environment where students can go and kind of engage their senses. And right. it really helps with students sensory overload. So right. particularly, you know, autism spectrum disorder, those, those kinds of diagnoses, neurodevelopmental diagnoses. Yeah. Um, but it also is just a great stress reliever. So a lot of students use it for that as well. We also have a, a resource called ADHD coaching. So ADHD coaching is, is for students who have a diagnosis of ADHD. And the purpose of that is to work with the student on building strategies to kind of mitigate some of those things that often come up with ADHD. So thinking about time management, prioritization, study habits, you know, things like that. So that is a resource that we have a lot of students using now, particularly because the population that we serve, we tend to have about 60% of our caseload who have diagnosis of ADHD. And so it's, it's a very beneficial resource. I want to go back because you hit a sweetheart of mine, the sensory room. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> give an example of some of the things that are available in there, because I know what those are. I've worked both with people on the autism spectrum, but also with victims of trauma who find okay. great help and great comfort mm -hmm. in a sensory room. So give some examples of that. Yeah. So the most fun thing in the room is a cocoon swing. That's super fun. And no I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, you can come by and swing anytime you want. Um, we have facilities come and check that out once a month to make sure it's secure. So we're good there. But we've got that. We've got what's called a foof. It's like this really big, sort of looks like a big giant bean bag chair. It's really, it's really cool. We've got some diffusers, some sound machines. We've got some noise canceling headphones. We worked with the occupational therapy department. A lot of the students created like a calming playlist so students can connect to that and then they can use the noise canceling headphones to listen. We even have like mints and gum. 
to engage kind of those tastes, the taste sense, you know, so there's a lot of different things in there that I think would be really helpful for students. That is the gist of what we do. And we do meet with faculty and students to talk about implementation of accommodations. So that's one thing that we we do pretty often, particularly for students who maybe this is their first time using accommodations. So to sort of get them used to that process of engaging in self-advocacy and being able to speak about their accommodations, that's something that we tend to offer to students as well. Um, I think it's really helpful for students who sort of just need that boost of confidence. They can go in and they can sit and talk to faculty and, and once they've done it, then they're able to kind of navigate those conversations in the future on yeah. their own. Yeah. It, it sounds like a whole wraparound center. You're covering a lot of bases. We try to, and we're actually, so we're located in the Student Success Center, which is great because we've got academic support in there with us as well. So we have tutoring and writing services, obviously not part of Cater and success coaching. And so we've got all of those resources in the same space. And it's really helpful for students to be able to engage in those resources while they're there, or at least know where they are. And I feel like I need to probably mention my staff. We have kind of a smaller staff. So it's myself, we have our assistant director, Miles Urban, and then we have our coordinator, Alex Rogers. And then we've got several GAs and student workers who work with us as well. So very excellent staff and couldn't do it without them. Okay. So I've got a couple of odd questions. If there's a student who needs some resources that are provided and they go off radar, is that something you pursue or is that something you imagine, okay, they're doing fine on their own? It kind of depends on the type of resources that they need. I say that because if a student is deaf, for example, and they're utilizing ASL interpreting services, we have to communicate pretty consistently about that. And so I'm generally in touch with our students who are deaf more frequently than I would say other students. But what we tend to do is we leave that open to students. We leave that connection you know, open to students and what they want to do. Some students prefer to just get the accommodations, you know, navigate that on their own. They'll reach out if they need us kind of thing. And other students do prefer to stay in connection more, more often. And so we would really invite either scenario, just kind of depending on what the student is comfortable with. I, I think the great thing about where we're located and also just having connections with other colleagues around campus is if there are students who are really struggling and like, let's say they're talking to their advisor and they say, you know, I'm really struggling, by the way, I, I'm connected to Cater, if they mention that. Then their advisor might reach out and say, hey, you might want to check in with so-and-so. And so we might check in with them in those instances. But a lot of times we want students to be able to kind of have that autonomy to decide how they want that connection, what they want that to look like with our office. That's that's what I was hoping for, <laughs> expecting you would say. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about just your experience there in Cater. What is your favorite part of your work? What's exciting or inspiring? And what are some of the more difficult pieces? So my favorite part is meeting with students. And, you know, I often will have students come in and maybe they're a little bit concerned about their grades or concerned about whatever situation is going on. And to see some relief in their face whenever they're leaving is really very rewarding. I think that's my favorite part is making those connections with students and being able to to help them and and really have them, you know, when they feel like they can trust you and come to you if they have a concern or something, that's that's good to know when you've built that rapport. So I think that that's probably my favorite part of my job. This work also comes with some challenges, right? So I think that there's still a lot of understanding that needs to be sort of ironed out. And so figuring out how to be a resource 
for people all over campus when it comes to, you know, that education piece on how to make campus more accessible. We do a lot of work. I think we could probably even do more work with the Reiner Center. They're just an excellent resource. And what we want to do is really continue to work with them to help faculty to see how can we best support students as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, faculty are busy trying to to get their curriculum together and, and to educate their students. And we want to be a good resource for them so that they can refer to us if they have questions in conjunction with the Reiner Center. So I think that, you know, it can be kind of challenging sometimes when you when you hit a wall in terms of accessibility, uh, whether that's physical accessibility on campus or accessibility within a classroom. There's a lot of problem solving that goes into this job. And I like that part about it, but sometimes it can be a bit frustrating if those problem solving techniques aren't really working out. So I think that that's a piece that can be a bit challenging. I think one thing that really motivates me when I first started working in this department, I will admit I was a bit green when it came to thinking about like medical diagnoses. And I was unfamiliar with a lot of the diagnoses that we now see and that now I do have a lot of familiarity with. And I think that kind of knowing how students are impacted by those diagnoses, if you are an able-bodied person, you don't necessarily think about what it takes maybe to open a door or to cross the street without a signal. And so I will admit, I never really considered those things either until I started this job. And now even in in my daily personal life, you know, I think about those things when I'm at the grocery store or whatever, I feel more inspired by the students and their experiences to really advocate for accessibility on campus, whether that again is physically or in when it comes to universal design in the classroom or, you know, whatever that looks like in whatever form that that is so that that students with disabilities can have the same experiences as students who don't have disabilities, but without having to sacrifice things like their independence, you know, and things like that. So I think it's really important work to me. I'm also really passionate about teaching students self-advocacy. You know, we have some students who come in and maybe they come in as freshmen and they've had accommodations, but they've never really been part of that conversation. And so helping those students and guiding those students in a direction where they feel confident enough to have those conversations on their own with faculty or with staff, if that needs to be the case, but really supporting them through that journey of really trying to find that confidence to do that, I think is really important because at some point these students are going to graduate and they're going to need those skills. And so I think that it's really important work to be able to teach that self-advocacy. And so I think that I've been very focused on that for a while. And I'm really trying to cultivate that same focus among my staff. And and I think that 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 is there. Yeah. So advocacy for those who are not seen or recognized or cared for in the way that we believe we ought to care for others. And then I love this, giving them their own voice or providing opportunities to allow that to emerge. Yep. So when there are diagnoses that are becoming more and more common and more and more prevalent, that initial growing edge of education with faculty or with anyone, really, how do you shepherd the faculty into understanding the needs for certain accommodations? And I'll tell you where I'm coming from on this. Anxiety is a very common experience among young people right now. 20 years ago, that wasn't necessarily the type of accommodation that was required, or you didn't hear about it as often. So I'm imagining there must be this tilt point 
when that becomes common enough that the buy-in and the understanding and the education is less needed than it is on the front end. Is that true for certain things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, I would say so. I mean, just to use your example, anxiety is something that we are seeing more and more of. And I think students who have that diagnosis, it really makes up a large portion of our population. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that we have about 60% of our caseload has ADHD. Well, many of them also have anxiety disorder. So I think it's, it's a bit tricky, right? Because one of the things that is really important for our staff is we maintain confidentiality when it comes to the diagnosis, right? So there's only so much that we can share with faculty. And really sure. that just boils down to, this is the person's accommodations. Now, if this cho- student chooses to disclose, that's that's another matter. But I have had pushback from faculty who have said, you know, well, this person has too many accommodations or, you know, why do they have this? And they explain this to me. And I, I really try to view that as not being necessarily combative, but as really just trying to understand and maybe not approaching it in the best way. And I would hope not approaching it with the student in that way, but just really trying to understand that. And so one of the things that I I like to be able to do in this role is to sit down with that faculty member and say, what are your concerns? What do you worry about with them having this accommodation? And most of the time, you know, when, when thinking about accommodations, it's, it's attendance, flexibility with attendance, it's flexibility with deadlines. Those are the concerns that come up. Sure. And I think just kind of talking through their concerns a little bit, you know, one of the things that is really important for our office is that we we want students to understand that these are here to assist you. We want you to focus on your health, most importantly, but you also have a commitment as a student. And so you have to balance that as a student and you have to still meet your commitments, but we're also here to support you with this diagnosis. And so we want faculty to understand that as well, that we want students to be coming to class and to be learning and to be engaged in the coursework, but we also want them to take care of their health and sort of trying to get faculty to understand that from that lens, that, you know, their job, sure, is to educate students in whatever the subject matter may be. Our job is to make sure that students are getting what they need so that they can learn. So I think when thinking about diagnoses like anxiety, it is interesting when working with faculty who have maybe been teaching for, you know, 40 plus years, because we do have a fair amount of faculty who have said to us, you know, I've taught this long and I've never seen this before. And so I think we all kind of have a duty to to recognize that mental health struggles, that's on the rise right now. And so how can we best support a student's mental health needs? What can we do about that as educators, as staff, you know? Okay, let's let's pivot a little bit then and talk about Cater in terms of the mission. So the mission at SLU is something that is prominent. And as I am doing these podcast episodes, we're learning how people perceive and actually understand the work they do through the lens of mission. So talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, a lot of people, when they refer to the mission, they really refer to that part about care for the whole person and being for and with others. And I think that those are the pieces that that really stand out to a lot of people. And so I think I'm going to be like everyone else and, and particularly hone oh. in on those pieces. I think that the work that we do, it's evolving, right? Because we have so many different needs that we see come through the office. I've been here, you know, it's not a long, long time, but like I said, seven, seven and a half years. And I still see students coming through with, with diagnoses that's new to me. Um, and so I think that there's still a lot to be learned. I think if we want to live that mission, you know, one of the things that our office can do is to really promote that accessibility piece. 
You know, I think if we want to be for and with others, then we need to be looking at how can we make sure that people with disabilities are included in the conversations? How can we make sure that they're included in even even the environment and thinking about, you know, I kind of go back to that, what I mentioned earlier about being able to engage in campus life while also feeling independent to be able to do that without asking for assistance. And not that they shouldn't ask for assistance, but I think that it is something that everyone desires to be able to do things on your own and to do things as, as simple as, you know, ask somebody to hold the door, what have you. So I think it, it's really getting buy-in from other people and educating other people on, you know, how do we, as a campus community, make our campus into an accessible place that promotes that accessibility piece. And I know I keep going back to that word, but I think that's the most important word that I can use here. And it's, it's small things too. It's not leaving your Lime scooter on the, on the sidewalk so that someone with a wheelchair can't get by. You know, it's, it's a faculty member trying to think about how to use universal design and meet with the Reinhardt Center so that they can, you know, get more education on that. It's, if you see that an accessible button entrance to a door isn't working, contacting facilities and just kind of going that extra mile so that we can make sure that we're doing what is right by our students who are dealing with disabilities. And so I think that our job within Cater and kind of how that syncs up with the mission to work with individuals to mitigate some of those barriers and to change some of those attitudes, to try to make sure that people are really trying to make the campus as accessible as possible. And, you know, they're educating them so that they can sort of have those ideas and branch out from there on their own and say, let's say to their friends, you know, hey, move your Lime scooter so that someone can get by. It's thinking about how can we as a community educate one another so that we can make sure that our campus feels organically accessible, I guess is the best way to say that. Yes, I love that. And so you haven't necessarily used the words building a healthier, holier, happier community, but that's what you're describing. Accessibility is about inclusion of all people so that no one is excluded because no one ought be, right? That's what a community does. So I'm, I'm hearing descriptions of community beyond pure personalis and being persons foreign with others. You know, I'm kind of hearing Ignatius coming out of your mouth when he's talking about, you know, we must not just love other people. We must be able to see them so that we can love them. And we can't see them if they aren't having the same opportunities that we are. So to see, to honor, and to love, that's what we're founded on. That's kind of what the mission is all about. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, what do you want the SLU community to know about Cater that maybe, maybe they don't know? Well, I would say we are not the accessibility police. (laughs) I think that sometimes uh, we get that reputation. We want to work with people, not try to tell them what to do. And so I think that that would be one of the pieces that, that I would like people to know. I also think, you know, right now we're working on a lot of initiatives that are geared toward creating a more accessible campus and and really elevating accessibility at SLU. And so I think, you know, there's going to be some information coming out about that soon. But I think that, you know, the work that we do, as I said, is is ever evolving. And I think that it's important to have buy-in from the whole campus community. And like I said, you know, that's, that can be as small as making choices on your own to assist where needed or to 
let us know if, if there's an accessibility issue that one notices. I think that it's really important to have that buy-in across campus because we can't do it alone. And, you know, we do have a lot of stakeholders that are really great resources that are working with us on a lot of different initiatives. You know, I mentioned the Reiner Center. We've got folks in housing and dining and event services, and, and I could go on and on. That's not a comprehensive list, but we have a lot of different folks in different areas who are working with us to make this a more accessible campus. But staff, faculty, we, we can't do this necessarily in silos. Sometimes we have to work together, but we can also make little tiny choices as we're walking through campus and, and as we see things happening to, to do better and to, to make things more accessible for those who are on campus so that they feel like they're included and they're part of the community. So that's one thing I would want people to know. And also follow us on Instagram. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much. And I, I just want to tell you how important and valued the work that you and your team do is. It might not be the most publicized, and that's a good thing. But when it comes to mission work, you are doing really great things. So thank you for that. Thank you for caring for thank our you. students and, and caring for the faculty who are educating them. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. There's a lot of great people on campus who are doing awesome things. I really appreciate you taking the time out to invite me to come in and talk about the work that we do. And, and I would just say, you know, if anyone who's listening has any questions, please feel free to reach out. <laughs> Thank you so much again. Thank you. Um, we'll be seeing you around. And for all of you listening, thank you for joining us. And please continue to tune in to Mission Matters, where we highlight the good work being done here in the SLU community, adding to the 500 plus year legacy of Jesuit education. Until next time, let's join together as a community, walking a pilgrim's path, following in the footsteps of St. Ignatius in our shared mission. You can engage the mission intentionally here at SLU and you can encounter it randomly. But good luck graduating without ever touching it in some way. God bless everyone.